Curiosity on Dublin City FM. We're here, we're queer, get into it! I'm James O'Hagan and this is Curiosity, proudly presented by LGBT Ireland, the National LGBT Support Service. Whatever's on your mind, LGBT's helpline volunteers are here to listen seven days a week on 1800 929 539. Coming up on today's show, Podrick and I will get you up to speed on some of the week's top LGBTQI plus stories in our Rainbow Roundup. Following the riots that erupted in Dublin on November 23rd, broadcaster, journalist, psychotherapist and host of Tuning Inwards a space for compassionate conversations about the topics that really matter in life. Dil Vikram Singha joins me to speak about creating a more inclusive and empathic environment for everyone around. And with a growing awareness and demand for eco-friendly and sustainable fashion choices, Podrick chats to the ultra-stylish Jose Galang, who has just overseen the relaunch of Golly Gosh in Temple Bar, a carefully curated clothing store with a focus on vintage designer and pre-loved fashion. Also, to celebrate the unveiling of the much-loved Spotify I wrapped. You'll be hearing myself and Podrick's number one tracks from 2023 before we rev up the DeLorean to 88 and fire back to the year homosexuality was finally decriminalised here in Ireland. But before we get into any of that, he is the Romy to my Michelle, Podrick Wilson McCarthy. Here we go again. Here we go again. <laughs> I, I wonder like when are you going to run out of those? Th- there are too many positive duos to, to run through. <laughs> there is, yeah. So, someday they'll be, they'll be referencing us. Yeah, that's it, exactly. <laughs> the he Podrick is the, the Podrick James. I cannot wait. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm always so intrigued as to what you're going to say. Anyway, how are you? Well, look, I've been having a, a, a camp all time putting up a Christmas tree. I saw, actually. Making, it, making a gorgeous reel out of it, It does, you know? yeah. It's nice, wholesome vibes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it was like a hard launch, hard launch of your boyfriend. Oh, oh, this is it, yeah. Just two years <laughs> in the making. No, but actually, it's, it's interesting. This is one of the times where you kind of start to see like the differences in people in a relationship. He would 100% be like colour-themed, bauble-based. Mm decorations only and I am like I want camp little teapots everywhere yeah. as many sort of like stupid vegetables yeah. wearing Santa hats hanging off the trees so we found a pretty good I um, was going to say is there a happy medium there is a happy medium he he refers to uh, he refers to the uh, the sort of the, <laughs> the, the, the aberrations that I like to hang from the tree as my special decks okay. and he, he has a little box of them and he's like oh, we won't put those on this year because we'll, we'll keep it balanced but <laughs> I have visions of like I, a tree to, like cut down the middle and like half oh, it's yeah, chaotic no, and half it's like I stunning have to, I have to be honest now like a lot of my stuff arrived around the back of the tree and I'm like but yeah. you can't even see it and he's like well listen you know sometimes <laughs> but it is there it is there you know it's, defe- it's a thought that counts what about yourself <laughs> uh, all is good with me I've had a busy enough week I did uh, Top of the Flops um, on Wednesday night with Fanula J gorgeous which was great crack so um, she obviously has her own podcast Flop Culture and I've, I've been on it a few times talking about flops things that I'd be obsessed with that others mightn't yes, have yeah. seen uh, or might, mightn't agree with me but um, yes yeah, so we did the live version the other night had our own flops had a bit of crack so it was great actually great old time I love that show I have to be honest with you like, yeah. it is it is it's it's a perfect because it really like people really reach back and pick out the thing that like encapsulates sort of that feeling of like this is something that is so camp and amazing that I remember so ch- I cherish the memory of it so much some of it's so incredibly much. niche but like it's so in- in- interesting uh, I, I still can't get over um, Victoria's Secret picking the the snowflake chocolate bar <laughs> yeah I mean there you go like that that is how like niche it can get you know uh, Maura Dara did a brilliant one on Art Pop was it Art 
pop. Yes, it was art yeah, pop. It was, and that was an outstanding episode as well. And Fanula is just so good at facilitating, allowing people to do it. You know no, what I mean? No, I have been, I have been threatening for for a long time to to go back to her and force her to let me record an episode about Gwen Stefani, and it will happen. She would have you in the door. <laughs> She's only looking for somebody. Like, but anyway, let's get into the news. This is our rainbow roundup queer-related news stories that we found in our feeds this week. Yesterday, of course, was World AIDS Day, James. I know, and it's great to see that every year the celebration for this day gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, and what I love about it as well is that it highlights, you know, how far we've come. It, absolutely, you that know? is so important. As part of it, UNAIDS released um, a report called Let Communities Lead, which shows that AIDS could be ended as a public health threat by 2030 if governments and donors were to give the front line all the sports that they need. I, I mean, you know, it, there is, it is so impressive that if you think about where we were even 30 years ago with with AIDS, kind of like that we are at a point where it is conceivable that it could be uh, eradicated within the next mm. within the next 10 years. And I think that like the really key message there is that if governments give the health services the, the resources that they need, and that's kind of the thing you really need to start because like so many other things could also be like positively impacted if governments were to properly resource the health systems. Uh, no, absolutely. Like, I mean, I mean, I've read through some of the report, the highlights of the report anyway, and like, it's a hugely positive one. Like, it, it tributes the advan- advancements in the fight against AIDS to community advocacy. Yeah. Because there's people on the ground that are doing this hard work no, because completely. they don't have the support behind them. No, completely. And I mean, like, we're we're very lucky here. We have an absolutely terrific organisation in Empire and HIV Ireland that are doing amazing work and the Gay Health Network and then the likes of, of, of Robbie and Veda with, with Pause Vibes as yeah. well. Like, there's such kind of a, a, a great, there's such a fantastic sort of activist base really making sure the community are engaged. Exactly. And not only are they promoting for, you know, um, I suppose sexual health it's also the stigma that they're that they're they're yeah. fighting against and that's really I suppose something that I've, I think over the last couple of years is improving Absolutely. long way to go without a doubt 100% one of the other things actually that uh, was mentioned in the report which I thought was really interesting is that like in 1995 um, the cost of, uh, of effective treatment for one individual per year would be $25,000 and in some countries now obviously not every country but in some countries that's gone down to $70 from $25,000 to $70 so it just goes to show like in less than 30 years how far we've come yeah absolutely absolutely you know, uh, and I mean only the right direction so hopefully it can stay stay on course absolutely <laughs> um, our next story is I suppose needs to come with a trigger warning Um this story does contain some really upsetting and, and, and I suppose violent information about the murder of Brianna Gay. Uh, just be mindful if you are listening and you're easily triggered by something like that or if there's young young ears uh, listening at 12 o'clock on a Saturday, obviously. Um, but in the UK, the trial of murder trans teenager Brianna Gay um, has got underway this week. Have you been following it at all? Yeah, I, I've 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 engaged a bit. I've read some of the stuff that's been on the the Guardian about it, and I I do think so. Like it it is just it is just horrific. It really brings to mind the the killing of Jamie Bulger from back in the nineties. Yes. Like it sort of has yes. that same kind of feeling to it. Like I think that it's fair to say that sort of you know Brianna's identity certainly came into a mm. lot of kind of you know the motivation totally. behind the the reason that that sort of why she was additionally vulnerable to these people. But the individuals who were accused of murdering her seem like they are kind of just pure evil like well, well, that's that's the thing like it goes into great detail like i suppose with the trial comes more details of the defendants and um the court has heard that the both of the teens had a history of 
sharing inappropriate material with one, with one another, things from the dark web, dark, dark web, excuse me, and and torture videos. You know, uh, conversations between the two of them have have been pulled up. You know, where they essentially are plotting to to kill. Um, uh, Brianna and other people, you know, they, they seem to have some infatuation with her, uh, yeah. potentially because she was trans. And one of the things which I found particularly chilling is that um, in December of last year, uh, sorry, in January of last year, they actually shared um, a photo of the knife and this knife uh, subsequently became the knife that they used. Yeah, I mean, it really is a kind of a case of like, you, you know that there is people in the world who like, you, you, they clearly need, um, like they, they clearly need help. Um, and, you know, justice needs to come for Brianna, but then also like, I think that these individuals are, are deeply disturbed and they need to get whatever assistance they can get totally. and also taken out of regular totally. circulation for the it's, people's it's in, it's an incredibly sad case, obviously because of the horrific murder, but there's two 16 year olds as well here. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. just like they're they're so young. What have they been experienced to to, to be thinking those thoughts? Is yeah. just no chilling, very chilling. Very chilling. Uh, a brighter note though, the BET Soul Train Music Awards. I wasn't that aware of them. Have you? I I I'm aware of BET, but I and I knew that they did music awards. See, there's just all of these American yeah. uh, awards shows that I'm like every so often you see people in pretty dresses and you're like, you know what? I'm into it. And, uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and absolutely, of course, we're going to pull it out anyway. But they were on last week, right, in LA last Sunday night, and um, they've renamed one of their award or one of their awards it, it was called Lady of Soul but they've renamed it now to Spirit of the Soul um, and that is so that they can honour um, Janelle Monet, who is a non-binary mm-hmm. artist so I think that's lovely it's like, it's like a positive little thing I suppose going in the right direction of you know recognising gender um, and it's a lovely uh tribute to them no I think so absolutely Janelle Monet is one of these like really interesting characters in sort of the, the queer universe because obviously they've had enormous success in acting and in music and you know it's great to kind of consistently see them being honoured for their talent like their you know their, their identity doesn't sort of get brought often into it exactly. their music is so amazing I remember I oh. went to see them in, in, in Trinity College a couple of years ago 2019 I think it was and the show that they put on was incredible like I honestly was was so impressed with yeah, them. No. And I think also it's like, it, it's good to see an end of those kind of gendered categories in music I think anyway. So. I think so too. And like, um, that is, it does exactly what it says in the tin look. It celebrates musicians for their excellence in hip-hop, R&B and soul. And previously, this award had been won by artists such as Jill Scott, Brandy and Monica. Oh, wow. So I'd be Listen, saying, well deserved. I, now, I actually just watched the worst Christmas movie of all time starring Brandy. So the What's boy might be mine, but that Christmas movie is somebody <laughs> else's. Mine. It's called Best Xmas Ever. <laughs> and I swear to God, do yourself a favor and, and watch it. Worst honestly... Xmas movie ever. <laughs> uh, very quickly, before we go, uh, honorable mention, uh, Beyonce fans, especially if you missed out on the Renaissance tour, uh, it has come to cinemas yesterday. I haven't seen it in the cinema. I did go and see it in May. Absolutely iconic. Did you see it? No, I, I haven't seen it. Uh, and I suppose I probably need to demote. I need to, to have a look at my Renaissance. I need to have a look at my Taylor Swift. I need to get all of them done yeah, over yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Well, the trailer was released last week and it looks unbelievable. It does look fans, it does have look gone, fans have gone feral. Um, the marketing ploy was obviously starve them of any visuals and then give them all, but they'll have to pay everything for them. at once. Yeah, 100%. So, 
excellent. Queen Bee. Only, uh, only Queen Bee can do it this way. And that concludes this week's news. But do stay with us because James is chatting to Dil Vikramasinghe in a little bit about the reaction to last week's Dublin riots, which were mm. obviously horrendous. But first of all, and it'll come as a shock to nobody, that my, what my number one song on Spotify wrapped was. You know, anyone <laughs> could have guessed it. And we're going to kick off with mine. So this is Lorene and Tattoo on Curiosity. On Thursday 23rd of November, after a horrific and violent attack outside the gates of a school on Dublin's Parnell Square, a number of far-right anti-immigrant protesters descended on Dublin city centre, leading to a night of violence, looting and destruction. Central to the riots was a distinct anti-immigration sentiment, which has left many fearful for their safety and deeply shaken. Joining May to talk about the personal impact as a parent and an immigrant and a member of the queer community, and to share their perspective on how we can begin the journey to healing as our community is broadcaster, journalist, psychotherapist and founder of Insight Matters, Dil Wickram Singer. Thank you for joining us today and also host of Tuning Inwards right here in Dublin City FM. We have to get the plug in. <laughs> Thanks very much, James. It's so, it's so lovely to be sitting on the other side of the table I, here and being interviewed. I, isn't, isn't, isn't that right? I always do love being invited to do like a podcast or an episode of radio because you're just like, I can turn up, I can do whatever I need to, I will just sit here and say nothing. Um, I didn't get my Kabbalah water or my purple Skittles. <laughs> well, look, the, the writer hasn't been fulfilled that and we will let producer Megan know that we are we're, we're thoroughly disappointed thoroughly thoroughly disappointed <laughs> I shall be writing a strongly worded email <laughs> yeah, mm. please do but first of all I suppose to get your, your reaction to the events of, of the 23rd of November like it must have been like incredibly multi-layered for you you're a parent an immigrant a member of the queer community who's witnessed this escalation of this far right rhetoric over the past few years can you tell me a bit about like your reaction as you were watching it unfold uh, to be honest I think I'm still processing the mm-hmm. the I suppose the what what does this mean? Yeah. What does this actually mean? Because I think for many people like myself, I moved to Ireland twenty three years ago, and I fell in love with this country immediately because my I, my arrival in Dublin coincided with Dublin Gay Pride. Mm-hmm. So within twenty four hours of my feet touching Irish <laughs> soil, I found myself dancing down O'Connell Street in broad daylight, singing "It's Raining Men," <laughs> and, and that that is you know this. I always tell people this story, and it is true. This is what what happened. So from that moment, I felt a sense of safety that I could be myself. I, I sensed that Irish people had an openness and ability to grow and evolve, and in many respects, in the last twenty three years, I have. Mm-hmm. witness incredible change. However, having said all of that, I think a lot of people like myself who have worked as activists, worked as, you know, I, I've, um, I'm a workplace trainer in relation to diversity and inclusion, and I've worked with the Equality Authority, uh, worked with various organizations like the Immigrant Council of Ireland, the Migrant Rights Center, and, uh, and there was, you know, we were always worried that I think Irish people felt in some respect that we were great. Everything's going to be grand. And and we're not like any of the other countries, you know, and we always worried that we we kind of sat back on our laurels a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. And then and then in 2009, there was a def- definitive moment in 2009, just just before the recession, a number of things happened. Uh, firstly, the National Action Plan Against Racism was scratched. There was another organization called um, the NCCRI, which was like the the National Consultative uh, Commit, uh, Committee on Racism and Interculturalism, also ended, and then the funding of the Equality Authority was cut by seventy percent. So everyone who worked in that field felt, oh, 
this is only going to spell disaster, but it's not going to happen in the next year or so, maybe in about a decade we're going to see it. And I suppose I was always hoping that maybe Ireland would kind of see sense, but sadly the the events of uh, last Thursday, the 23rd of November, for me are very much a confirmation of what we thought was going to happen all along. It, it's interesting because it, I do think you're absolutely right that particularly like if you if you think back to kind of mid-2010s where you were having marriage equality repeal the eight, you were seeing these enormous kind of moments in social inclusion and progress happening here while, you know, a, away from our shores, you were watching Brexit, you were watching Trump coming into power. I think we did feel a bit invincible and we felt like as if we were somehow immune to 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 some of what was going on. And, you know, I mean, in, in some respects, I suppose, like, you know, our, our own history as a nation is, is, is one of kind of, of immigration. And maybe that's, that's inoculated us to like a small degree, but it really, you know, I suppose we were probably foolish if we thought we could we could guess uh, get away with it entirely. Um, during the week on, on Twitter, you, you shared that that one of your children had come home from school distressed after a classmate had worryingly said, "If your mum doesn't leave Ireland, she could get stabbed." Like that, I suppose, sense is shared. I would imagine by immigrant parents across the country. Like how. How has that impacted your sense of safety? And what would you say, I suppose, to other people who are listening to this who maybe are concerned now about their own personal safety? For me, um, I think that's when really it hit me was the day after. Because like I remember I remember watching the the scenes unfold and and kind of going, okay, I'm still gonna look at the big picture. Ireland is still very safe. Uh this could be just one isolated event. Uh and you know, let's let's just hold fast. And I think that was just my um, my own coping mechanism that, you know, I, I after all, I am a, a, I grew up in Italy. I was born mm-hmm. in Italy uh, to Sri Lankan parents. So I had this experience of already growing up in a country that sadly now has a lot of uh, racial attacks. And you know, like I remember one of my earliest memories as a child is sitting in the bathtub as maybe as a, maybe I was about five or six sitting in a bathtub and scrubbing my skin so I could be white like my friends. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I say that, I, 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 I know, um, the the trauma that I carry in my body, but I think I was trying to minimize it and rationalize it and go, no, it's going to be fine. Uh, you know, th- this is just a, a, a one off event and it'll be grand. And then, of course, the next day when my six year old came home and said that, and that's when it hit me like a truck because, I suppose, for me, it's the, like I've talked about inclusion and racism and equality and you know social issues to my children, but this is the first time where they realize what racism is. Yeah. You know, we have, I've talked to them about their surname. You know, they're, they're quite fair. So they would pass as white people. But I was like, you know, you have to be proud of the fact that you have Sri Lankan heritage. And sure, your surname will, will scream, <laughs> it, scream it pretty loudly uh, that you're from another ethnicity. And, and they then realize, oh, okay, so this actually means that you know, not only my mama could be unsafe, but I could be unsafe. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think as a parent and anyone listening to this will know, uh, that's when you start feeling wobbly because you realize you get in touch with that part of you that you really can't, you know, always be there for your kids. You know, you wish you could shield them from everything, but the reality is one day, you know, you can't. And and that 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 reality is incredibly jarring for some. And for migrant parents, Ah, as I said, I, I felt incredibly um, vulnerable and I can just imagine all my grandparents feeling very much like this. Is this the beginning? Because you just think of the UK. It's yeah. just a few years ago, what happened? It just went on and on and on. There's a lot of un- disenfranchised young people. Uh, like right now, there's young people who were involved in the in, in the in the riots and the looting who are thinking, 
I'll never be able to buy a house in this country. Mm-hmm. So so for me, I'm not going to look at this as a very black and white issue. It's like, oh, you know, unfortunately, it's turned into somewhat of a class issue. Yeah. And there's a lot of people saying, oh, using terrible terminology to describe the young people who were involved in the looting. But I have a lot of empathy for these young people because yes. they're, they're, they're thinking, well, you know, what, what kind of future will I have in this country? Yeah, I, this is the thing that I, that has been stuck with me since since it happened is that for a lot of the people, particularly those more opportunistic people who just sort of got involved in, in the night as it, as it went on, you kind of do come back to this is why would these individuals sign up to a social contract that has been specifically built to exclude them and to make sure that they are not going to have an equal access to the possibilities that, you know, either their parents may have had access to back 30 or 40 years ago, but certainly that, you know, kind of other people that they are able to see in the communities around them are going to have. Why why would they do? Why would they do that? Because they are being left behind and then they are demonised when they try and sort of step up. And even if they do work as hard as they can and get as far as they can, they'll never shake that sort of state stigma of of kind of like where they where they have come from which is really really kind of you know I think that's the conversation that needs to to start happening happening now mm-hmm. uh, and it's easy for them to turn around and look at and blame absolutely the, but the, the migrant because chance that the migrant is actually standing right next to them um trying to face facing the same struggles as they are but of course that those disenfranchised young people don't have access to the people who are really responsible for the issues and the housing crisis and and the lack yeah. of healthcare and all you know the list goes on and on because how often does a, a 16 or 17 year old uh, get a chance to go face to face with with someone who's actually making the decisions and driving this bus yeah no absolutely um, but so we've we've spoken there a bit about the the trauma inflicted on people as a result of events like this so in your role as a as a psychotherapist, how do you see events like these affecting kind of the mental health of individuals and communities mm. more more broadly? And I suppose through your activism work work mm. as well. Are, and, are, and are you seeing like any long term effects on the collective psyche of, of of this kind of event? And it's interesting what you mentioned there about the fact that you had seen kind of, you know, the roots of this go back as far as 10 years ago where funding was cut for one particular agency where, you know, kind of one um, NGO shut its doors. And it's like, well, this is actually fruition for some of those things but what would you say kind of around how this will impact the psyche of the community potentially mm-hmm. yeah, just going back to it it's like they literally kick the can down the road and, yeah. now, and now the can is coming yeah. up going, you can't <laughs> kick me anymore um, from a from a point of view of uh, the impact to, mental, uh, to the mental health of, of people psychological safety is a big piece and for, for migrants, for anyone uh, who would consider themselves an outsider. So that's just not just people who are mm-hmm. migrants, but people from the LGBTQI plus community. Um, you know, even recently when I went to that uh, that horrible protest uh, against uh, that tr- transphobic uh, person, um, R- R- Posey, Posey Parker. Parker. Yeah. And that was, uh, for me, there was, a t- there was a moment there when I was at that pr- protest that something felt different. For the first time, in, I've been to so many protests, but there was something about that protest that made me feel it was it could kick off any second because you had mm-hmm. you had you know our beautiful LGBTQI plus community there with their flags, you know, chanting away, and then there was this other group of people on the other side who who just looked, you know, I, I couldn't understand. They like they looked like Middle Island, you yes. know, they were there in their anoraks, and 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 they were very angry. They were, yeah. and I was like, wow, I've never ex- experienced a, such. Um, that, like, that, that energy that really showed that the far right 
and yeah. how that is gathering momentum even here. So so between psychological safety for anyone who feels like they're an outsider, so it could be a trans person, could be someone from, who's a migrant, could be could be someone w- with a disability even, a- anyone who's constantly feeling that they have to, um, you know, that intersecting piece yeah. where they have in- di- different intersecting uh, identities and always kind of having to be hypervigilant of what's going to ha- happen next. But then also I do worry about the mental health of the s- so many Irish people, white Irish people who had this idea of, of an idyllic island where we didn't have this stuff, you know, yeah. and this this event has literally exposed the underbelly that, Ireland is actually not perfect. So I know a lot of people reached out to me uh, uh, and and they were so disappointed and they're so ashamed. So like across the board, I don't think there's anyone who hasn't been impacted yeah. neg- negatively uh, in relation to their mental health uh, after these events. We, I, I have to finish up now. I mean, I could actually like I've got about 17 more questions that I could easily ask you. So you're going to have to come back on and talk to us more. But just, tell us a bit about where people can go to listen to the compassionate conversations mm-hmm. on tuning inward mm-hmm. to try and get that piece of um, bringing themselves back into themselves a little bit with tuning inwards. Mm-hmm. Well, the show is on, on a Wednesday at 1, 1 p.m. here on Dublin City FM. And it's really about a show about, you know, making meaning amidst challenge and I think this is the big piece about last week's events you know it, it might seem senseless what happened you know why would people react like that when uh, when it was you know a horrible attack surely people should have just been so, so upset and gone to support the, mm-hmm. the, the people who were impacted instead of going off and destroying society yeah. um, but, but we need to make meaning out of what happened and I think the only way we can do that is by by doing something about it you know taking action yeah. like for me this is a call to action whether absolutely the government has to do something about this but everyone individually we have a responsibility to when we see something to speak out to have these uncomfortable conversations with family members who maybe took a very different outlook to mm-hmm. to the to the riots last 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 week so it's it's really putting yourself out and and, and maybe nailing your flag or your colors to the mast yeah. and say look this is not acceptable this is not the kind of island that we want to we want to create and the only we can do that is 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 if we are in this together yeah. Thank you so much for chatting to me, Dill. That was really great. Welcome back to Curiosity. And coming up, Podrick is going to be having a bit of a chat with Jose from Golly Gosh. But before we get there, earlier we heard Podrick's number one on Sparma Spotify Unwrapped. And now it's my turn. My (laughs) turn to share. But it's actually not my number one because we already paid my number one. Padam, padam, because I am in fact that basic. How classic. (laughs) It featured heavily on mine as well. I think it was number three. So like... But we're getting my number two, which is River by Miley Cyrus right here in Curiosity. If there's one thing us queers know how to do, it's to turn a look that turns heads. The queer community have always embraced fashion as a powerful form of self-expression using clothes to celebrate their uniqueness and creativity with pride. Over time though, trends do change and with everyone making a conscious effort in the fight against climate change, we've seen fast fashion suffer and pre-loved clothing becoming increasingly popular. We are joined by Jose Galang, manager of Golly Gosh, sorry, a queer-owned vintage store that's recently reopened in Dublin's Temple Bar after a stunning glow-up. If I don't of say, if it, uh, Jose, welcome. Woo! How are you, babe? I'm so good. How delighted, are you? Delighted to have you here. 
I'm so yeah. This is such a new experience for <laughs> yeah. me. Wow, it's, 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 it's not like being behind the counter in the yeah, shop, right? It's a bit spooky. Like, <laughs> I can hear myself, which is really weird. But you look great, though. Thank you. On that, actually, before we talk about golly gosh, um, you clearly know how to turn a look yourself. <laughs> where's your Where's your passion from for fashion come from? And like, do you have any style inspiration? Um, I don't know. I feel like I, ever since I was young, I've always been like really interested in clothes. Mm. Um, I didn't. I, I don't think I had like good style since I was young. I feel like I've just always experimented and played and and just like I don't know. Really loved it ever since. Literally, I can remember. Like yeah. even my my grandparents and my parents are always putting me in like outfits, and yeah. I would kind of acknowledge it. You know, some yeah. kids just don't really care. I'm just yeah. like, oh, I actually, know what I'm wearing, kind of thing. Um, and inspirations, me. I yeah. inspire me. You are very like you're you're like. Very unique in your own style, Thank like, and it is probably something that probably like probably evolves from over time, right? Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a lot of miss, <laughs> a lot of misses. Like, if you, like, if I can show you all my photos from like when I'm like eight, when I was eighteen. Okay. I tried it all. Yeah, you tried it all. I was an emo girl. I was, I was everything. But I, you had to try. You have to try to yeah. kind of find what it is you kind of like and, fall into. And pre loves clothing, then right? So, yes. Like, what is it about vintage clothing that like you like that you enjoy in particular? Like, is it the aesthetic thing, or is it the sustainability thing, or is it a bit of both? A bit of both. I mean, like, I feel like pre love clothing and vintage stuff is just a lot more charming. Like, there's. I don't know, there's just like for me anyways, it's more stimulating to go into a store and kind of like go through things. I know it's not everyone has the patience for it, but mm. I do when it comes to clothes. Yeah. I kind of want to see what what you have and like the fact that, you know, it doesn't come in other sizes or what you, what you find is like, you know, and then when you find something that you love and it fits, it's kind of like, yeah. you know, like a it, really good. It's almost even more rewarding than yeah, like going to like a regular It's like a little shop. treasure hunt. Yeah, I know? love that. And the fact that it's like sustainable as well is amazing. Obviously. Yeah. Um, golly gosh, then. How did that How did that come about? Like, um, how did you get asked, I suppose, to oversee the reopening of a new store? Um, so I've been working uh, with Terry and Dave. They're a couple. Um, and... I've been working for them for two years in another vintage store called Dublin Vintage Factory. And ever since then, I've kind of been like, okay, I love this. And then they were looking for someone full time for golly gosh, they own the store as well. And I'm just like, you know what? I kind of want to like, I'm interested. And then I kind of came with them with like ideas. Um, and yeah, the last just let me kind of, you, you can, know. You kind of got full free reign over yeah, it, right? like they, they, they literally told me, you know, you have full control and we trust your vision and, and everything. But like also with that, like, when I came into the meeting with Terry, I literally, um, our ideas really matched. So mm. I think he he found that he could trust me because like I can see the vision, his vision as yeah. well. And yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm here now. I have like this little fear around vintage shopping, I guess, right? Because yes. I don't know where, I don't know where to begin. It's something I'd love to get into, <laughs> yeah. but like, like, and like, I, like, but it's, I suppose, for me, it's like we're going to a place and I'm like, I'm afraid that people are going to be like, he doesn't have a clue what he's looking yeah. for. Like, since you've opened the new store in particular, have you had like people coming in that are like like myself, probably having shopped vintage before and, and interested in getting to explore vintage clothing and expanding, I suppose, their vintage wardrobe? Or is it like, is it all regular people that you you would know? It's a lot of regular people for sure. I feel like um, not... Yeah, you see the people who are mm. more hesitant, who are more like, I don't know what's going on. It's yeah. too overwhelming. It's too overstimulating. It's definitely a thing that you have to to do 
more it's like a practice yeah. thing the is that more what you would do, advise people to do oh yeah definitely it's like you you need to give yourself time if you if you want to try vintage or thrifting and stuff time time is the key and you need to have some patience and the more you do it then the more you kind of find like how to like you learn how to find things quickly okay you know like the things that you like it's so like you a kind skill of, yeah it's like you go into a shop and i know that that area i'll find something there cool so it's like yeah practice brilliant and mm. In terms of, I suppose, stock in the shop, like, do you cater for um, different sizes? And how important is, um, especially these days, like, how important is affordability? Oh, my God, yeah. Like, I try to keep the prices down as affordable as possible because you don't want to be paying, like, 70 euros for a T-shirt, you mm. know, like a used T-shirt. And, and people like, that's, think that, that way. Can happen. Yeah, that can happen. I guess some some businesses have to do that, and that's their practice, and yeah. I'm not kind of bashing it. Of course. Um, but for me, I just love, like, going to a place where I can, I know I can go into, and then I can literally, like, buy something. Yeah. And without breaking the bank. Exactly. And also just, like, the range of things that we have. Like, size is really important to me, just because I'm, like, a big person, so um, I need things to fit me, so... I kind of want my story to reflect that and to have yeah. like stuff where it's not just catered for, you know, the smaller sizes. Totally. And I suppose making like a range of sizes and also making things affordable, it makes it accessible and yeah, more people can explore vintage I mean, as well. Exactly. Like, you know, like, I don't know. I just, want, I just want people to kind of like venture into pre-love, thrifting, all this okay. stuff because, I don't know, there's just so much clothes right yeah, now. Yeah, like, know. You know, you have pennies and stuff and yeah. it's just like, it's just too much clothes sure. happening and, yeah. So, what can we expect from Golly Gosh? I know you're pushing on socials and yes. stuff, but like, um, what can we expect and oh where gosh. can people find you online and in person? Um, well, you can find us in Temple Bar. We're literally just under the Merchant's Arch. So, if you're familiar with Dublin at all, you can find us there. Um, I'm a millennial, so Instagram is like the main thing for me. Yeah. Galagash Dublin is where you can find us. I kind of post a lot of stuff there. And there's, I just kind of, I'm, I'm pushing the socials more, um, less to do with like, I don't know, marketing and get people in and more. I kind of want to intrigue people and start like conversations around clothes and, and fashion and, and sustainability and all these things that come come with it having like a vintage store. So yeah, it's not just, you know, I don't, I'm not posting to be like, buy this, buy this, buy this. It's more about just showcasing and the kind of just intriguing and stimulating conversation. Brilliant. Yes. Jose, the shop looks amazing. Thank the, you in, so much. The Instagram is fab. Best of luck with it. If anyone's around, get in there. Yes. And th- Jose, thanks so much for coming in. Will you bring me shopping now? Yes, come on. Absolutely. <laughs> Nineteen ninety three, James. I remember her well. Huge year. Huge year. Big year. What massive. a massive gay year. I suppose <laughs> a pivotal moment for the queer community. An icon was born. Oh, and you're gonna tell me all about it. You were gonna tell me that. <laughs> yeah. an, icon, an icon was born, a burgundy suit was worn. What else? What else There's is loads. happening? So obviously it's my year of birth. Yeah. And henceforth me wanting to be the main character, I chose it as my year this week. Uh, but look, obviously, right? Just not- like all the other gays arriving in Cork <laughs> on their yeah. Spotify rap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, no, I wasn't the biggest story this year, unfortunately. I was 
shadowed but I didn't mind because it, it was all for the greater good uh, the biggest story the greatest impact this year was obviously the decriminalisation of homosexuality in Ireland June 24th 1993 Ireland officially passed legislation which finally decriminalised homosexuality after years of um, I mean basically yeah, the, 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 the origin of the, the state right back to the to the, to the 1700s or 1800s there have been exactly. some form of discrimination there I think it was, it was it was in the late 80s David Norris has taken his case and himself yeah. and it was himself and Tony Walsh were like both on that case against the, the European Court of Human that Rights. That was it. Say, it, was, it, was actually, it was 1988. Yeah. Uh, he went to bring his uh, case to the European Court of Human Rights. His case against the Irish state over the consti- constitutional status of the criminalisation of certain homosexual acts was subsequently won. And this obviously caved the way then, or paved the way, I should say, not caved the way, uh, for decriminalisation. And look, Ireland is much the better for it. It, it is. is. We it are is. a gorgeous rainbow family. And I th- I do think like everyone agrees now that, you know, us, us LGBTQers, we bring so much joy so, and happiness into the world. A- absolutely, if we and do we say a, ourselves. We have, we have David Norris to thank for it. There we go. And we're not, like, we don't have swollen heads <laughs> at all. Um, also that year, the Unfair Dismissals Act 1997 was amended in 1993 to include sexual orientation, which was another important moment for the gay rights movement, uh, which ha- had been um, lobbying the government to include this for many years. So that exactly. was another little advancement for us. That's actually, I mean, one of the, like, the, the decriminalisation is obviously the headline act there, but I do think that that kind of, the changes in that legislation to make it, like, to actually protect queer people within their employment was so important because that fear that your Huge. identity could... Oh, my God. And it still existed, like, even within within an educational perspective, sort of there was that Horrendous. religious get-around yeah. for, for a yeah. long time up until yeah. only a couple of years ago. And, like, to be honest, James, as someone who is a teacher, and fortunately I work in a very inclusive environment, but there are still schools where, you know, you go in for an interview and there is a parish priest sitting on the, on the mm-hmm. panel and you cannot be... You know what I mean? They have, you know, loads of say. Yes. Loads of say. And many of them will, will support, but there will always be one. Yes, you know? exactly. Exactly. Moving on. Over in the US, in December of 1993, serving openly in military becomes Don't Ask, Don't Tell. The Don't Ask, Don't Tell was the historic compromise signed by President Bill Clinton authorising people who are LGBT to serve in the military provided that they didn't disclose their sexuality. Isn't that disgraceful though? though? Yeah. Like, yeah. You can put your life on the line for our country but you cannot you talk be, about your partner where you like to go drinking yeah, it, or yeah. it is so absolutely apparent. And it, again, like it looks, it's, it's one of those things that just seems regressive even for that time. The law was removed, uh, the law also removed the ability for others in the military um, from asking a service member's orientation as well. But anyway, um, Eurovision <laughs> is it my is it my goal if I don't mention Eurovision? Well, look, I've I, I've picked a few questionable years there where the Eurovision song contest was was either unmentionable or or not that remarkable. Yeah. So it's great to get a big year where we can look, go in Eurovision. Nineteen ninety three is like the tr- triple threat of gay years because I was born. Homosexuality <laughs> is 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 decriminalized and we win the Eurovision. In Cork. For the second last time? Um, well, it was the second time in a row and then we won it, won it oh, again so in we 94. Won, we won it two more times after yeah, that. Yeah, 94 okay, okay, okay. and 96. Anyway, we won't get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> Don't make me. But yeah, it took place in Cork in Mill Street in 1993 after Linda Martin won in 1992 with Why Me, Icon. Another icon took to the stage. Niamh Kavanagh was our participant. She smashed it. In your eyes. I'm going to say my favourite Irish entry ever. I absolutely agree. And also I would say that Niamh Kavanagh is my favourite entrant ever. Yeah. Like she, Irish we- entrant ever. She is phenomenal. So, so funny as well. And I also love Linda if you're listening. 
<laughs> no, I, I enjoy do. Linda uh, no, as well. No, totally. And and Neve <laughs> Neve is a friend to the community, isn't she? A oh, huge, but like a, a huge proper, friend, like a yeah. meaningful friend. She is as a well. proper ally to the Doesn't community. Doesn't she love the bears? She loves the bears. She yeah, must love she you. Is, she has rolled out every bear fella to to come along and judge the Mr. Bear Ireland competition or to like sing in in Penny Lane I when we've it. all got hangovers on the Sunday. <laughs> um, loads of other things actually happen, right? When I was looking back over these, I was like, I was. For the first time I've ever heard of any of them. Um, February 19th, 1993, Elton John performing in Melbourne, Australia. The concert had to end 30 minutes early due to an invasion of grasshoppers. What? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that, a, that's iconic. I was like, where is the footage of this? I need to see it. Crocodile hop. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible please cancel me <laughs> what a daddy joke uh, Prince turned 35 years of age and announced the change of his name to a love symbol did you know this I remember this happening and I think it was he was in some kind of complicated yeah, situation with right. record, and he wanted to be like basically you can't brand yeah, me so yeah. I'm going to change my name so to something on... that was it the symbol was not pronounceable but was a mixture of the symbols denoting male and female uh, the change was apparently an attempt to rebel against Warner Brothers his record label at the time it was over um, he wanted to release his music in a certain succession and then they weren't well, it wasn't happening and he wasn't happy about it uh, in another act of rebellion he also started performing with the word slave written on his face oh yeah there you go uh, Madonna began her girly show tour in England in 1993 this I love this one this is I don't know I've never heard of this before right so the voice boxes of hundreds of G.I. Joe and Barbie dolls were switched did you know this no, right. so we're we're having like high camp GI Joe. Yeah, right. So so ba- basically, there was uh, this organization called Barbie Liberal Organization, right? Um, and it was set up in an effort to question gender stereotypes. Um, uh, like oh, Amer- so it wasn't an accident. No, it no, was- it was no, it was intended. <laughs> it was intended. Basically, Mattel had released a, a speaking Barbie that said, <laughs> "Matt's class is tough." Right? I do remember this. Yeah. Now, weirdly, I listened to an entire podcast here. It's just about dolls, and I remember them talking about this. Where? No way. <laughs> yeah, I swear to God, they they talked about the um, they talked about the the this this talking Barbie doll that said Matt's and like the the misogyny. Yeah, and how, just, like, the backlash basically against it was it. that Barbie is dumb, right? So what these people did is they went into toy stores I'm assuming um, grabbed some doll, basically shoplifted these dolls and then what they call reverse shoplifted them um, but they changed the voice boxes of the dolls so then when they went back into the stores G.I. Uh, G. Joe dolls would say things like want to go shopping and <laughs> another one they had, who says the beach is the place for summer and then Barbie dolls would be like vengeance is mine <laughs> Which I think is iconic. I absolutely agree with that. Um, movies in 1993, Mrs. Doubtfire was released. Oh, here. I mean, 93, if I remember, was a great year for a kind great, of like yeah. iconic like movies yeah. for Disney your childhood. Disney was doing quite well in 1993. I think, was Aladdin 1993 I think Aladdin well? was 1993. I feel like, was Jumanji around that time yeah. as well? Yeah, it's giving that. Um, I love Mrs. Doubtfire. I, I love, well, first of all, I love Robin Williams, but um, Mrs. Doubtfire is such a classic. It really is. It's a feel good movie. Yeah, like, absolutely. You can watch it now and, like, it'll, it's so nostalgic and heartwarming. And also, there's a woman in drag, you know what I mean? Which Completely. Which, which right now is, like, you know, inflaming the world. I was thinking about it afterwards and I was like, if that was to come out now, can you imagine the absolute 
war that would be we going on. We wouldn't hear the end. No, of you it. wouldn't like, and it's just like, <laughs> but like those people would watch this and they'd still get the nostalgic <laughs> feels. Uh, finally, I will always love you by Whitney Houston reached its 14-week mark as number one in the US Billboard charts, carrying forward from the previous year. This makes it the longest-running single that remained at number one. It was also the song of the year at the end of 1993. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that is one of the the most legendary songs of all time. There you did go. it? Did it beat? Was it the the Pet Shop Boys or the that one from Robin Hood movie that yeah. went that was like number one for like years? And here. then she came in and she slayed the game. Oh well, listen. No, there is no better woman. <laughs> sure, there's not. No, Whitney can do. Whitney can do she no can wrong. Do no wrong. That's the end of my reading of the queers from 1993. I, I mean, I think it's a it's a good one. You know, what a busy year. What a busy year for us all. And like 30 year anniversary. Oh, listen. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, so that that is it. That is 1993 in a nutshell. 1993 in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Uh, I, there's only one thing for us to do before we get to what is quick becoming. I think the 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 main talking point in the queer community is James versus Podrick in Mystery Song of the week yeah yeah, I think this yeah is we it. have everyone by the neck don't we <laughs> yeah we really do <laughs> they're like oh my god can't wait can't for Saturday <laughs> yeah what songs are going to be now but yeah so um, we as mentioned are uh, proud to be partnered with LGBT Ireland so if you or anyone you know need support don't hesitate to reach out to the LGBT helpline which is available on 1800 I have been James O'Hagan and I've been a delight this week you if have. you want if you want to if you want Want to come and have a look at what I'm doing over on Instagram? You can do that on James O underscore Hagen. And I'm Patrick Wilson McCarthy. As always, do reach out. We're always looking for a bit of crack. Uh, my handles are Podrick underscore WMC. And of course, we've got our Instagram page, our dedicated Instagram mm-hmm. page that you can also reach out, and that's uh, at Curiosity Radio. So make sure you come over and hang out with us. Let us know exactly how edgy your seat you are with these end of yeah. Episodes. Whose team are you on? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Okay, let's get into it. Okay. So this is the Mystery Bop from 1993. This track was originally released in October 1990. Okay. But in 1992, the song was remixed. Liberties being taken here. Yeah. I mean, oh no, wow. Wait, wait, no, you're not ready. You're not ready. <laughs> but in 1992, the song was remixed by a Swedish house production duo called Stonebridge. And it was released in 1993. In July, but when it was re-released, it, it was included in the artist's debut album of the same name as the track. Oh, I'm gonna. Okay, is it "Show Me Love" by Robin? How did you know that? <laughs> That's outrageous. I do, I I do, I genuinely don't. And I had I had. <laughs> And I was actually going hard. I was like, I was like, I'm going to get him back now. I mean, I was 40 in '93, so like, well, I, that's I... true. To be fair, and you know what? On the same in the name of a, of a bop. Yeah, absolutely. But can Wait, I just give you give me the rest of your clues? I'll give you the rest, right? It became <laughs> ruin everything. No, I'm delighted. Um, it became one of the best known house anthems in the UK and the artist's biggest hit to date. It was credited with helping to make House more mainstream. Um, initially, reluctant to feature on the track as she seemed, or she deemed it a step away from her background in R&B and pop, um, Robin struggled through the recording process because she was recovering from the flu and people say you can hear that like in the track. you're struggling through this recording process you're, you're, you're struggling I'm, with the fact that I undermined you by guessing off the I'll, first glue. I'll be totally honest with you I'm <laughs> seething. Um, 
<laughs> despite asking for publishing credits for what she claimed to be her own ad-libbed additions to the original demo, uh, she didn't get them. She mm. got no credits for those. And in 2022, Rolling Stone placed this track at number nine in their list of 200 greatest dance songs of all time. I actually would have to agree. Yeah, um, absolutely. The it track, is an absolute banger. No, it has. It's been sampled multiple times. Uh, most recently, it features in uh, Charlie XCX's You Used to Know Me. And another one. Oh, God. I, now, this is where you go. I, yeah, I don't know. come on. Okay, where, where have I heard it? I've heard it somewhere. Um, someone big at the moment. It's not mm. Taylor Swift. It's not Beyonce. Is it Beyonce? It's is Beyonce. It on? Yeah. Is it, yes. Okay. Yeah, which, yeah, but which, I, I know Beyonce. Yeah. There mm. you go. Break my soul. Break, Break my soul. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Now, yes, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, it's practically the same song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's great. So that's it. There you go. Well, well done. Well, now well listen. Done. Playing us out is yeah. Playing us out for this week. It's Robin S. And show me love. And curiosity. Yeah, yeah. 